Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So we are here this morning on uh, another edition of Bible and Brew, and uh, I, did not, uh, I did not take the time to make a brew, so I've got my bottle of water instead. <laughs> so we'll see if I can make it through. Uh, good morning, Mr. McWhirter. Welcome. And also the People's Fan. Uh, hope uh, hope everything's going well with you. We've been praying for you guys. So appreciate you being a part of this. And this morning, we're going to jump into the Word of God. Let's not delay any longer. Amen. So um, in today's Bible and Brew, we are jumping back into our Bible reading plan that we're reading together as a congregation. And that is from uh, today's reading, day 174, uh, is from 2 Kings chapter 5. And this happens to be um, uh, a, an often preached upon uh, chapter in the Bible. There's a couple of amazing stories here that we are going to run through and hopefully learn something from. Uh, good morning, uh, Pastor McWhorter. Thanks for joining us today. So uh, let's learn about this guy Naaman. Now, that's that's typically how English speakers will say his name. Uh, the Hebrew Hebrew uh, word for his name is Naaman. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Hebrew in origin, but that's how it's written. And because of the two A's, uh, they put the emphasis. If you see it written in the Hebrew, there's like a N-A, then apostrophe, and then the rest. So it's it's actually uh, the syllables are set. No, no, it would be three syllables. So Naaman. And, uh, and so, so I'm going to try to say his name from the Hebrew, if you would allow me to do so. All right, so um, 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman, commander of the king of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Uh, good morning, Andre. Glad to have you joining us. So here is, uh, here is a, a wonderful summation of a man's life. And uh, very interesting to know. He's got a lot of things going for him, right? So he's a commander of an army. He is a great and an honorable man. Uh, he has been given victory by God, right? So already we've learned only three things about Naaman. And all three of them are pretty incredible things that any man would strive to have said about him. And then those little words that say, but he was a leper. Now, obviously, I did not say leopard. I did not say that he was a spotted cat. It's he was a leper, L-E-P-E-R, which means that he had contracted a devastating disease called leprosy. And I think that this little picture of the man uh, the Syrian general named Naaman is a fantastic way 
to kind of sum up uh, our lives sometimes. <laughs> it's possible. How many understand? It's possible to have a lot of things going well for you. It's possible to have a good job or a good income, good family. possible to have a nice marriage. It's possible to have a lot of good things and yet, at the same time, be going through something that is absolutely devastating. Let me see your hand if you can testify to that. So here's Naaman, um, that he has a lot of great things that we could say about him, but the Bible says he has contracted leprosy. And this truly was, especially in the ancient world, a devastating disease. It was a disease that was debilitating. It's a disease that would um, cause you to lose sensation in your hands and feet and fingers and appendages. And little by little, it would tear the body apart. Not only that, the, the societal consequences were even worse. Because once it was found out that you had leprosy, you were basically confined uh, to isolation. The only people you could hang around with was other people who had leprosy. And so we don't know exactly what stage that Naaman's leprosy was, but we can surmise that it's probably still early stages because people are still associating with him. And as soon as they would find out that he was a leper, uh, according to biblical law, they would separate from him. They would run away from him. And there, literally there would be entire camps and, and colonies of people uh, living in isolation, uh, never being touched, never uh, being cared for. And it was a very, very devastating disease to contract. So the lesson is God will sometimes give us some devastating things to deal with in the midst of a lot of good things. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Now, this is certainly not a strange thing. This is something that would have happened time and time again uh, through the course of fighting battles and wars and, uh, and conquering peoples and lands. That This is something that would have happened uh, very regularly is that when victory was taken, uh, one of the things they would do is they would uh, take captive uh, uh, the young people, um, the girls especially, and they would, uh, they would uh, put them into basically indentured servitude. Uh, it's, you know, looking at it from today, from our modern eyes, you know, it's, uh, it's not a great practice. <laughs> Certainly would not approve of that. But it was a reality of the ancient world. And so uh, the result of one of these wars is that they brought back a young girl from the land of Israel. And what they had no idea was that God can use even the captivity of a young Jewish girl to bring about an incredible blessing. Uh, what I learned from this is that don't knock wherever God has put you in your life. Look, we are all going through circumstances. We are all going through difficult times. You might find yourself in bondage in certain places. But the hope is that God can use you wherever you are. Verse 3. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So this young servant girl gives the glimmer of hope to Naaman and his wife. And... Um, and that is really all that's necessary, isn't it? The glimmer of hope. As long as hope is alive, that we can continue going forward. 
as long as we've not uh, succumbed to uh, despondency and despair. You know what despair is? It means when you lose hope. It means when you are uh, consigned to the nihilistic view of life that uh, it's going to be bad no matter what. And some people have gotten there because they've lost hope. Perhaps Naaman would have gotten there also, and his wife, if not for this young girl. Can I, can I give if you, issue a challenge today? We are in a world right now that is losing hope. I want to encourage everybody who's watching this. I see seven people streaming this online right at this moment. And I want to encourage you to be the hope for somebody today. Wherever you go and whatever you're doing, you can issue the glimmer of hope. And no matter how deep and desperate the time can be, look, if we could have hope, then there is possibility for miraculous power. That's what this girl, she was not a Bible scholar. I don't think she was even educated. She probably didn't even know how to read. But what she could do is she could offer hope in a hopeless situation. And no matter what your qualifications are or might not be today, that's what you can do. Wherever you go, you can be a source of hope. So verse 4, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus the girl who is from uh, the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, who said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. All right, so uh, this Syrian general, he, he goes to the king of Syria. He goes to his boss, basically, and he gets a, he gets a doctor's note. <laughs> and he says, uh, okay, I, I've been sent on a mission uh, for my health. And so he gets favor from the king he, because he is valuable to the king. He's valuable to the nation of Syria. He is a, a guy who's well-respected. And so, uh, yeah, go. Go, Naaman, and, and do what you need to do. And even I'll, I'll back you. I'll support you. I'll give you the financial resources that you need in order to make this journey. And uh, you can go and be a blessing to this man of God that we've heard about. All right. So then verse 7. So uh, it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Sandeep Campbell, welcome all the way from the land of India. We're glad that you're here. Um, so there's a, there's some miscommunication, I think, in the scripture here between the king and the prophet. So the, the king is assuming that, that, uh, Naaman has come to him for healing, but that's not the case. He's just, uh, asking where the prophet might be. So, uh, Elisha, uh, heard about this and, uh, and sent a letter and said, let, let them, let him come to me. All right. So verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot. And he stood at the door, I love this, he stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, a messenger, saying, <coughs> saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, 
and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But, verse 11, Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. He will stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And right here is where Naaman almost loses the rest of his life. He almost allows his emotions and his disappointment to abort his future in the kingdom of God and in his own, uh, in, in his own life. See, this is a mistake that many people make, isn't it? It's a mistake that you've seen people make because of a false expectation, because of a disappointment. Uh, they're going to abort. They're going to blow up their entire future because they didn't get things the way they thought that they were going to be. So uh, with Naaman, there was a couple of things that he assumed. Number one, he assumed that he was going to meet directly with the prophet Elisha, that like he was going to have a face-to-face conversation. And when the messenger showed up instead of Elisha, he was like, hey, come on. I'm like the general. I'm like the dude. I am the man. Why are you sending this messenger? Let me talk to the prophet face-to-face. So that, that threw him off. The other thing that threw him off is his idea of how this healing was going to take place. Ha! Huh, this is going to be no problem. Elisha's going to show up, and he's just going to whoo, wave his magic wand, and I'll be cleansed from my leprosy. And that's how it's supposed to go, right? That's how healing is supposed to happen. So we need to be very careful when we start assuming how God is going to do things in our life. Now, we know what God is going to do. We know that God is a good God. We know that his plans for us are good to give us a future and a hope. We know that. We know his heart. We know his purpose. We know what he wants to do. What we don't know and what we can never know is how. How does God want to do those things in our lives? How does God want to bring about a good purpose? How does God want to give us a future and a hope? Sometimes the how is far different than anything we could ever expect. Uh, I can testify to that in my own life. Uh, There was a time in my life that I had no idea where the nation of Bulgaria was. I could not point it out to you on a map. (laughs) And Pastor Campbell uh, had the incredible faith and the risk, ability to take a risk to send a 24-year-old who had never preached a sermon in his life to be a missionary in the nation of Bulgaria. So that was never on my radar. That was never in my plan or my purpose. I knew that God wanted me to do something for him, but I had no idea how that was going to happen. Uh, Maybe it's true in your life. And so you... You and I, we always have a choice to make when, we're, when we are presented with the, uh, with the difficult task of having to deal with something that we didn't expect. I expected things to be different. I had no idea it was going to be like this. Maybe some of you can figure out that this is a very difficult thing. That you have, God has put something on your plate. You have no idea. How or why or what? You, you, do people actually go through things like this? 
It wasn't supposed to be like that. I wasn't supposed to be this kind of person. I wasn't supposed to be the, the wife that got abandoned by her husband. I wasn't supposed to be the parents. I, I'm thinking of you guys, the, the people's family. I wasn't supposed to be the parent who had a child born with a, with a, you know, with a cancerous tumor. I wasn't supposed to be that person. I wasn't supposed to be born in this place, in that time. You know, and, and this is what Naaman is dealing with. And this is what he is, uh, he is teaching us about is when you find yourself in a situation where you thought it was going to be like that, but instead it ended up like that. And what do you do? Because it's very easy, like Naaman, to get upset. You know, and enraged, it says. Not only that, he's thinking about how God, uh, how the servant had asked him to, uh, to, to do this thing. And he says, go dip in the Jordan. Are you serious? Have you seen the Jordan River? It's like a sewer, man. I've seen things floating down that river. Things I wouldn't want to even touch with a 10-foot pole. Why would I do that? He's thinking about other rivers that he's passed on his journey. Rivers back in Syria. Man, there were some nice rivers back there. Why couldn't I just go do that? Thank God that Naaman had some righteous people with him that day. And this is where... God did not create you to be in isolation. This is where it's critical that we have godly relationships in our life. If you are going to be deterred from your enraged disappointment, you're going to have to have some righteous people around you. You're going to have to have some people to bounce ideas off of you. Listen, I want, I want you to know something very carefully, but I want you to listen. It is critical that you have righteous people around you. I know that you guys watching today, the people's family, Paul and, and your wife and your family, the rest of your church, I want you to know that the reason that you inspire the rest of us is because you have chosen not to get angry. You have chosen not to be bitter. You've chosen to make the best of this situation and glorify God through it all. And that's most likely because of the relationships you have. Probably your, your marriage is a source of great strength, I would guess. I don't know you guys that well, but that's what I would guess. Also, I would guess that you have a strong connection to your pastor and to the other people in your church, a place that you derive great strength from. That's what Naaman had with him that day. And he better thank God that he did. Listen to what they said to him, verse 13. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So they were able to, uh, to speak to Naaman. They were able to reason with him. They were able to say to him, look, this guy's asking you to do anything at all, but the end of what he has asked you to do still means you're healing. And that's still a good thing. And, uh, and, and so it's critical that we have those relationships in life. So he changes his mind. He humbles himself, which is something so rare in our world today. Can I be honest? So rare to see people actually humbling themselves. And he changed his mind. And look at verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Let me just say right here. Obedience is not difficult. Right? Obedience is very simple. 
but it can be very difficult. Is what I'm what I'm trying to say is <laughs> is that obedience to God is a very simple thing. It's just saying yes, but it doesn't mean that it's always easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. It was very simple task that the messenger gave to Naaman that day, but it was not an easy thing for him to do because he had to humble himself. There are people here listening to this that God has given you a clear task, a clear path to set forward on today. Uh, but uh, but you're saying I don't know if I can do that, God. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. And so I want to just encourage you: the path of obedience is simple, but not always easy. But when you will do it, guess what? It says, when he did this, he dipped down in the Jordan seven times and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. So he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides and came and stood before him and said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. He urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, this is really important in our our religious flavor of the month kind of Christianity. In uh, the prosperity gospel doctrines that in in essence, you can buy a miracle. Uh, the prosperity doctrine that is pushed by false gospel preachers, people like Creflo Dollar, people like Jesse Duplantis, uh, others that are on Christian television. There's many that we can talk about. But uh, I, I wonder if they were the ones who were there that day who had been praying for healing. I wonder if they would have done the same thing as Elisha. Probably not. If, if uh, Naaman came offering them uh, all kinds of gifts and precious things and, uh, and money and talents and uh, clothing and, oh, oh man, it would have been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on. Send in your $100 check, Naaman. Uh, but not Elisha. He says, you cannot buy. This reminds me of the story in, in the book of Acts where um, I'm going to forget his name, but uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a guy who attempts to purchase from Paul the ability uh, to heal people. And, uh, and he got rebuked by the apostle, didn't he? Because uh, the work of God is not something that you can purchase with, uh, with earthly things. So uh, now Naaman said, verse 17, if, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So, uh, the end of this story is that Naaman doesn't only get healed, but he gets converted. And that is the goal of healing. This is why we as a fellowship, we pray for healing. We believe God for healing. Uh, Because healing, we understand, can lead to incredible salvation. The first miracle after Jesus had gone uh, to be with the Lord, the first healing miracle was after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Simon the Sorcerer. Thanks, Dave. Uh, The first Miracle after they were filled with the Holy Ghost was that there was that leper begging at the at the beautiful gate, and when he was healed, uh, this opened the door for incredible revival, and that's what we are believing God for in our generation. So give me a give me a clap emoji if you're believing God for miracles in your community. Can we see God? Can we still believe God 
for uh, miracles of healing, which lead to conversion. All right, so then we have the story of Gehazi, or Gehazi, if you want to say it like that. Uh, the servant of the Eli- of Elisha, the man of God. Apparently, this Gehazi was the same guy who answered the door, so God had definitely used him. Um, but there is something in Gehazi that is so discouraging. Uh, this is this shows us how difficult it is to pass on a spirit through discipleship. So um, we we know that Elijah is the one who passed on his mantle to Elisha. But when it came time for that spirit to be passed on to another servant, to Gehazi, um, somehow it didn't make it. <laughs> so God was obviously using this man. He was a servant. He was helpful. Uh, but then we find him running after. Listen to what it says here. Gehazi, servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian, while not receiving his, from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives... I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me. Did his master send him? Uh, No. Uh, But he said, Indeed, just now two, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. He urged him and bound two talents of silver. and He gave him what he asked for. But what is so disheartening here is after this incredible miracle, Gehazi manipulates the situation for his own personal greed. This unfortunately, is deep-rooted in the heart of man. He sees an opportunity, and he takes it. This is the Judas of the Old Testament. Judas, we know, who had the money bag in the, in, uh, among the disciples. And we know that he was taking a part for himself. And what's so amazing to me is that Jesus, who knows all things, was aware of this the whole time, right? And he didn't judge him. He didn't pluck the, the wheat or uh, the tear uh, for, for the sake of uh, the wheat. And he just allowed it to play out. And, and so now Gehazi is lying to Naaman. He comes back. He lies again to Elisha. So um, just there is a link here between uh, dishonesty and a link between greed, right? It, they, they go together hand in glove. And, uh, and, and so here it is, verse 26, the judgment, when he's facing Elisha for what he's done. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen? Therefore, verse 27, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. Man, Gehazi, this is, this, uh, see, God does not go easy on the person who knows that they're doing wrong and does it anyway. I mean, it'd be one thing if Naaman, who had no idea about God, if he would have, uh, you know, if he would have um, stuck with his initial decision, you know, maybe, I, I believe God judges us based on what we know. We know that that's true, isn't it? He, 
God doesn't judge us based on what we don't know, but what we do know, according to the revelation that we have received. That's why those of us in positions of spiritual leadership will face a harsher judgment. And, uh, and so that's why Gehazi, uh, he gets the, he gets the, the, the wrath of God in this story. And the same leprosy that had affected Naaman in the beginning was transferred instead to him. And this is what happens to people who go after the gold. This is what happens to the Smeagles who chase after the ring of power, isn't it? They, Pastor Campbell's famous quote is that you can chase after something and you can achieve it and still not serve the Lord. This is what happens with Gehazi. All right, well, that's going to jump over to, uh, that's going to end our Old Testament reading, and we're going to jump over to the book of Acts. We've got to move quickly. I want to encourage uh, those of you who are part of our congregation, please don't forget to support our church in the midst of difficult financial times, uh, in the midst of a building project. We want to encourage you to, uh, to stay connected with your generosity. So we're jumping to Acts chapter 15, verse 22, where it says these words. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. All right, so uh, let's just get some context here and and, uh, remember why this letter is so important. Uh, It's interesting that both of these uh, scriptures have to do with the nation of Syria and the Gentiles that are around Israel. So the controversy of the day in the book of Acts there was that they were dealing with Gentiles who were getting saved. It was a miracle uh, because they understood that the same Holy Spirit that had filled the Jews on the day of Pentecost was also being given to the Gentile believers with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. This presented a problem for the Jews, uh, the, the, the newly Christian Jews who had received the Messiah, because they had never encountered <laughs> Christians that were not Jews. And <clears throat> so there was a question that arose. If we have Gentiles that are receiving the Holy Spirit, obviously God is doing a miracle in them. God, if, how can we deny them that they're true Christians, that they're true, that they have received the same salvation that we have based upon the fact that the same Holy Spirit that we have is, is in them. We see them speaking in tongues. We see the fruits of the Spirit at work in their lives. And, but the controversy was, okay, so if a Gentile person becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus, does it also mean that they have to become a Jew? And so there was a group of people that said, yes, the answer to that question is yes, you cannot be a Christian without also being a Jew. In other words, we uh, adopting the laws of Moses, the Levitical laws, the kosher dietary laws, um, the intermarrying laws, uh, and so there was a process for the for the Jews to you know for the Gentiles to become Jews if they wanted to do that, and so this was the the Council of Jerusalem that took place earlier in the chapter, and they had come to a decision uh, after after um, um, deciding these things, and the final decision is in this uh, letter that they wrote to the Gentile believers, and uh, we are we are still uh, benefiting from this wisdom today. 
All right, so verse 24. Since we've heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will report all the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. There's three things that they list here. Abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. All right, so the final the final result of this council and, uh, and the recommendation that came from the, the believers was, Ho, oh, it's a good thing. Uh, you don't have to follow every Levitical law except for these absolute necessities. Uh, abstain from idolatry, right? Abstain from uh, from eating blood, basically, from things strangled. So that there there is this one dietary restriction they put on them, and of course from sexual immorality. This is the thing that um, that so many of the the pagan religions included. And so if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. And, uh, and so listen to the reaction. Um, so, I mean, the, the big controversy was, of course, over cir- circumcision, because that was the Jewish way of marking that you were, uh, you were a person who's following God. And so, uh, so the good news is that those converts didn't have to be circumcised, at least not in their flesh, a circumcision of the heart instead, which in many ways is an even more difficult circumcision. So when they were sent off, verse 30, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered this letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words, and after they stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So this is also for us, this is a great illustration of how we can work out problems in the church. You know, um, one day the Bible says that when Jesus comes to reclaim this earth for his own, that's going to be a cool day. Part of the job of believers is that we are going to rule the nations. We are going to be the ones who are ruling over the kingdom of our God. And so uh, from the beginning, this has been God's intention. He created the world and then he gave it to Adam and said, take care of this place. Well, that's going to be restored in the heavenly kingdom when God, uh, <clears throat> when Jesus comes to take his place as rightful king of the universe and he is going to delegate to us the authority to rule over nations. And, um, and so it's important for us to learn right now some skills of, uh, of, of ruling well. Of, so, you know, <clears throat> the idea is that how can we rule nations one day if we're constantly bickering among ourselves in the church? <laughs> and so we would do really well to remember 
that God, what the church is all about is training for eternity, that we ought to be able to work out some problems in life. So there was a problem here between Jews, the Jews that said that the Gentiles have to be converted and have to follow the Levitical laws. And the other side of the, the argument from the Apostle Paul was that, no, if they have the Holy Spirit, then they've got what they need. And, uh, and so they were able to work out the argument. They were able to work out a solution that worked for everybody. And here we are, 2,000 years later, the church is still in existence today. Yeah, we've got a lot of disagreements. Yeah, there's a lot of different interpretations over the Word of God. That's okay. We can still, uh, we can still say, brother, I disagree with that interpretation, but I still love you as a brother, and we'll ask God when we get to heaven together. And I think that's that's a good lesson for us as we uh, close this out today, is let's not be uh, divided over our bickering and strife within the church, especially we must be one united body, especially when the world is in such turbulent times and chaos. So I would just want to leave you with that encouragement today. Be unified. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's so many reasons that we have to divide up among ourselves. But we have one overarching reason to unify, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, we are all one. We are all the same. We are all sinners. We are all in desperate need of his grace. We are all beggars, and we have found a place to find some bread. So go find a few other beggars today. Give them some hope. Be that little servant girl who brought a little bit of hope. Uh, to a man who is in need. I want to encourage you today, man. We have such an opportunity. Uh, I I keep citing this statistic, but it's so important. Uh, I've heard the statistic is that unchurched people, people who never go to church, and, uh, and they ask them, if somebody gave you a personal invitation to come with them to church, would you go? And 70%, 70% of them said that they would consider that. That is a really, really great way to end this out. So I want to encourage you uh, to, to be in prayer. Pray for somebody. Give somebody some hope today. And, uh, and let's invite a few people to our next service, uh, especially here in, in, um, in Virginia Beach. We're in a time of prayer and fasting right now. So I want to encourage, if you have not done so already, we have a sign-up link that you can pray and fast with us, even if you're not part of our church. Uh, We would love to have you praying and fasting with us for seven days. We're praying and fasting for the needs of our nation, for our culture, for the divisiveness and the uh, the the division that is in our country right now, in our nation, uh, we're praying that God would use it for the glory of God, that he would bring about his end and his purpose. And uh, so uh, we're out of time this morning. So I just want to uh, thank you for being part of our Bible and Brew this morning. Uh, if it's been helpful to you, I would ask you to please share it. If you've got a church page, maybe you want to share it with your people, that'd be awesome. We appreciate that. And uh, until we see you again tomorrow, we'll be back here uh, at 8 a.m. for Bible and Brew. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God. 
and love people.